Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Hi, I'm Mike Boris, and this is Straight Talk. You know, for Ash Barty, winning Wimbledon wasn't success. Believing that she was worthy to win Wimbledon, that was success. Because we're really good at saying what we're not. I'm not good enough, smart enough, pretty enough. And we kind of suck at saying what we are. <laughs> You're often described as Ash Barty's mindset coach. How do you view it? We've all got these mindset muscles that we don't realize we have. I can decide how I interpret and how I find meaning from adversity. You can't control the waves, but you can learn to surf. wow, the world is really struggling here. We're missing our authenticity in life because we're so distracted on, on so many levels. Who am I and what do I want? What kind of human do I want to be? We can all identify these crucible moments in our lives. They're either going to hold us back, but if we lean in and make sense of it and find the meaning, they can project us forward. Ben Crow, welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Thank you, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me. I, I'm really uh, curious to talk to you about uh, what you do. Um, you, I, you know, you're down here as a mindset coach. I mean, I guess that's what you call yourself. I mean, it's an interesting um, adjective, mindset, or a noun, I guess. Um, because um, mindset, something is a big deal for me. Uh, you know, because our minds tend to race, particularly when we're under pressure. Um, minds tend to race when we fail at something. Um, minds tend to race when we have high expectations either on ourselves or others have high expectations on it on us. Um, and now, and uh, and it races down all sorts of avenues. And uh, you know, it's uh, nearly like having a dream where you're running around naked. <laughs> you know, sort of weird and you can't control your mind. My and, imagination's going everywhere right yeah. now, Mark. Yeah. And setting your mind <laughs> is is like about structure. Structure does lots of things for me anyway and uh, so I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So, And I, I also note that, uh, you know, as we we're saying, that uh, Mindset Coach to Ash Barty, Dylan Orcott, Dustin Martin, Dusty Martin, Stephanie Gilman, I'm sure there's a lot more others and, um, and that's your business. That's what you do. So... Um, Take me back a little bit. Uh, when did you decide to get into this business of, um, you know, helping people get structure back into their life? Yeah, great question. I didn't actually. I fell into it. Um, yeah, I studied 
philosophy, anthropology, and storytelling at university and had no idea what I was going to do with those three professions and didn't realize at the time one was the study of wisdom, you know, in philosophy. Anthropology was a study of humans and human behavior and English was storytelling. And then I joined Nike, <laughs> um, which is a sports company and uh, who specialized in storytelling, but more so external storytelling. But I used to, I was working with athletes and I did that for many years. When I came back to Australia, I just continued to, um, Nike's competitive advantage was their emotional connection with athletes um, and, and their storytelling. It's amazing. Yeah. And so you got to know the athletes incredibly well, incredibly close, even though my role wasn't, you know, professional mentoring or mindset work at the, at the time. Um, I'd often, I'd have nothing in common with them, right? So I would just ask them questions about mistakes they'd made or fears they might have and so forth. And it just blew me away for a multi-billion dollar industry, the rules were really embryonic in terms of separating the person from the persona, you know, their fame, the identity, these things they can't control. And you can get really lost and distracted, as you know, Mark, in the entertainment industry, right, in terms of what's real versus what's not real. And we started doing life plans for athletes and that that fascinated me as well. And what is um, that? What is um, a life plan? A life plan was just kind of helping them with their, I guess the work I do now is really much helping someone with their mindset in a professional sense, with their perspective in a personal sense um, and making sure they've got the right structures. They've got a personal plan, a, a brand plan. They've got a calendar management plan. Um, they've got a post-career plan as well. You know, um, most people don't have a lot of, you know, your specialty in my opinion, Mark, is mentors, right? And understanding how powerful and how important they are. Uh, a lot of athletes don't have good people around them. And so, you know, it's been quite a Jerry Maguire shark infested promise the world deliver an Atlas kind of industry, right? So just helping them make sure they've got a bit of a plan in place so they can perform at their best, but also get perspective as well. And when I left Nike, I just continued to, I guess, mentor uh, athletes and, and coaches and so forth more as a hobby than anything else. Um, and I think it was probably early 2000s, probably 2012, where I suddenly realized, wow, the the work that or the mentoring, even though it was probably through friendships and so forth, was having a pretty big impact. Um, Stephanie Gilmore, um, the surfer, had a um, had a shocking attack in 2012 with uh, just a random drug addict who, um, and she kind of went off the tour and through her family and, and sponsors and so forth, um, we connected up and I started working with her and, and got to, I guess, help her find perspective and found purpose and found the joy for surfing again. Um, but it wasn't until about 2016, 2017 when I took on the Richmond Football Club and um, took them on that, I guess, that journey around understanding vulnerability and connection and uh, authenticity. Well, they also had a good run too around that period. Yeah, they won three of the next four premierships, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So. And there was a book written, I guess, on on me in 20, uh, 2017 and then 2018 and 2019, um, it kind of just exploded. You know, I think there was the Australian cricket team had Sandpaper Gate, Ash Barty had a bit of a setback at, at Wimbledon, but then corporates-wise, you know, Facebook had a bit of a setback as well and then they kind of became my largest clients and then it was 2019 I thought, you know what, um, I'll take a gap year, work out what I want to do when I grow up and just explore these themes globally and I kind of – you know, I traveled the world. There weren't many gaps, so I didn't grow up, but I did kind of just understand how, I guess, vast the, the whole world's looking for confidence and happiness and how distracted we are as well, right? And then 2020, the whole world took a gap year <laughs> with COVID, but that kind of gave me time just to take stock and a bit like you with, you know, with this podcast, gave me time to kind of sit back and, and reflect and to kind of put all these principles into writing and then code and then we developed the mojo app and in the last couple of years i've kind of been going back out into the world 
and just kind of getting these principles socialized because from a, an emotional health point of view, I've just never seen the world so distracted unnecessarily. There's legitimate distractions in terms of wars and pandemics and economies and so forth, but there's a lot of illegitimate distractions which are unnecessary. But there's seriously, where do you go to learn this stuff? There's no such thing as human being school where you can learn to be a human being first and a you know, professional second. So unfortunately, it's these principles which, you know, two and a half thousand years old, We've just got distracted with this obsession with, you know, extrinsic motivation rather than intrinsic. And, yeah, I guess that's the journey, journey that I'm on. That's really interesting. I'd just like to explore that because you just hit on something that I'm always I'm very curious about and that is um, principles that are 2,000 years old or 2,500 years old perhaps. Um, yeah. So when you say that, what principles are you talking about? You're talking about Arist Aristotelian virtues or you're talking about Plato or who are you Socrates, what are you talking about there? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Good examples there, I guess, stoic philosophers that you're talking about there in terms of, you know, just the power of acceptance, right? And the power of controllables and uncontrollables. Of what? So, acceptance of what? Well, well, okay. So we've got these, the, the simplest way I can explain it, that we've, we've all got these mindset muscles that we don't realize we have, right? And they're so powerful if we understand them and we can tap into them. So we, Let's just take agency, yeah? Unfortunately, no one in the world really seems to understand what that word means because I, I never say it. I don't know if you say it, Mark, but how often do you t discuss agency with your mates at a pub, right? Well, it so, comes up a bit these days, but, but not me saying so much, but you read yeah. about it. Yeah. Journalists talk about it. Correct. Yeah, it's also called uh, autonomy, accountability, self-determination, which yeah. are even harder to understand in my opinion. But in its simple, simplest form, agency means I have the power to decide and choose how I interpret the events of my life, right? So it's not what happens to us, it's how we respond. Right? That's within our control. Right? That's extraordinarily powerful for people when who are kind of letting the conditions of their environment determine their mindset rather than, uh-uh, I can decide, I can choose how I interpret and how I find meaning from adversity, right, to turn it into possibility and, and so forth. Or the power of acceptance. Yeah, most people don't realise we've actually got this incredible mindset muscle called acceptance, which therefore means nothing is ever that good or that bad. It just kind of is what it is. And more importantly, we can start to accept the things we can't control and let them go and focus back on the things we can control. Yeah, and once we can create that separation, like, you know, even on the way this morning up to Sydney, I create an acceptance list just in my mind. Okay, I accept that I've only had a few hours sleep, accept that I've got a whole lot of meetings, accept that I didn't get to do an hour's exercise. As soon as you accept it, you can let it go. It doesn't own you. You don't suffer from it and you can kind of, you know, accept, let go, reframe and, and go again. So, or even just the power of appreciation, Mark. You know, I call them the triple A mindset muscles, agency, acceptance and appreciation. Appreciation is where we focus on what we've got rather than bitching and moaning for what we haven't got. But you start the day with um, acceptance, right, or with agency, you make certain decisions that you can prioritise your day and take more control back or start your day with appreciation, right? You're going to win the morning pretty well. Right? You're not going to let the weather or politics or social media or negative news media kind of affect you. You've got that power. So that's what I mean by there's just these these mindset muscles that we, we, we're not really tapping into. Well, how important is it, do you think, is it to actually articulate what you just said? Because it's funny, I was just thinking when you were talking then, when I arrived recently in Melbourne, um, I flew in and I arrived at a Avalon Airport, which I don't usually go to, and uh, I got off the plane. It was sort of nearly dark and it was 
bloody miserable. Like um, <laughs> uh, Sydney was beautiful. Sounds like oh. <laughs> And I got to Melbourne. Is this a Sydney, Melbourne thing, man? No, not really. <laughs> but, I, but I had to do something the next day, right? And so I had to be there that night. Yeah. And I arrived in Melbourne and uh, I hadn't slept well the night before um, for a whole series of reasons. Um, um, I'd been on a – uh, an airline which I think is just crappy and uh, I won't say the name of it, but I didn't enjoy the flight. Right. Um, and I was given a bit of attitude by one of the staff on the plane f- for no reason I don't think anyway. Maybe I was just, I was being – I was asking for it, but it doesn't matter. I, I, yeah. I gave a bit of attitude. Got off and I thought, oh, but hell, and I, and I had a one-hour, one-half-hour drive from that airport to my, my final destination. And it was the last thing I felt like doing. And um, the next morning – and I didn't sleep well that night – so in the hotel I was at. But when I got up in the morning, I, I had to make a do a talk. I had to talk, address quite a big crowd. Um, and But I thought, no, wait a minute. Go down to the gym. Have a – you can't work out properly, but have yeah. a, a workout. Go and get something, get some food in your guts. Sit down and uh, plan out what you're going to talk about because I already, already had the notes and briefing. Yeah. But I planned out. And then get up and enjoy yourself. Enjoy it. And interestingly enough, the crowd really gave me a great buzz. And uh, so I sort of just did those things you just talked about. Um, yeah. I accepted, I control. I took control of myself, I took agency over it, um, you know, uh, that morning. Um, uh, um, I accepted my position that I was tired and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, I did the job. And I actually was thought to myself, Mark, just be appreciative of the fact that someone's actually wanted to book you to talk to their people that they, you know, really value. Totally, totally. That's a beautiful story and an explanation. And it worked. But exactly. I, but the thing is, the thing is, I, I, I never really articulate, I've never, I never really articulated it. So I, I guess, Ben, what I'm asking you is, as individuals, how important is it to either articulate it ourselves or have someone like you help us articulate it? Because it sort of puts a bit of structure around it all for me and it actually makes, oh, that's why it worked. Because I have to say I did a really good job. I When I walked away, I felt really good about it. Um, I was re-energized. I felt happy. I must say when I, I, I felt like the uh, I got deflated because I just ran out of energy about two hours later because I had given it all. I, I just gave it all on the stage. Yeah. But I just ran out. That was just an energy thing. Yeah. But, but still – I never articulated like you've done. How important is it for people to articulate this and actually write it down, those triple A that you just said? Yeah. It's, well, if you want to live an authentic life, right, a life that's true to you and the courage to be yourself without understanding who you are, right, in in that case you tapped into all three of those muscles. You tapped into acceptance that you had a bad flight and a lot of sleep. You tapped into um, appreciation that someone got to book you. Right? And you're making conscious choices. You decided to prepare. You decided to go to the gym. You made certain decisions. You kind of knew what you wanted, right? Um, Within the limitations, but it was okay. Correct, correct. And if we don't do that, if we don't kind of make sense of who we are, the human being that is, less, less so the human doing, right, we'll be showing up constantly distracted, constantly frustrated, letting the conditions of our environment determine our mindset, which is effectively saying if it's rainy, I'll be shitty, and if it's sunny, I'll be happy which is crazy, right? It's abdicating responsibility for living. Once we realize we actually have that power, we have agency over our mind and how we want to show up, what kind of human I want to be, and then tap into like in that case you tapped into, you said, I think you said yourself, just enjoy yourself, right? So in that moment you are connecting back with your authenticity. The best version of Mark enjoys himself. 
right? So you were connecting to that childlike compete, have fun, play kind of mindset. You weren't focusing on the outcome and whether people enjoyed your speech. You were focusing on, I am going to enjoy myself in this moment. It probably got you more centered and more present, yeah? So the journey we're all on, in my opinion, is just answer those two questions first. Who am I and what do I want? And you've got to answer them in that order because you can't work out what you want until you work out who you are, right? Fundamentally who you are. And if you don't work out who you are, you're constantly going after what you want as a substitute, which means you might sell yourself short in life or love, you know, imposter syndrome, I'm not worthy of this promotion, I'm not worthy of this role. Or you might be going after what you want and be focused more on extrinsic motivations as a substitute for who you are. And that's the, one of my biggest frustrations at the moment is how distracted we are with extrinsic motivations. What does that mean, extrinsic motivations? External things. The big five is money. Like once I make that money, then I'll be enough, then I'll be validated, right? And I've got clients who are billionaires who said once they made their third billion, they thought their dad would love them, right? It's so sad. The second one is materialism. Once I get that car, that house, that handbag, <clears throat> then I'll be enough, then I'll be worthy. The third one is corporate status. Once I get that promotion, right, then I'll be then I'll be enough. The fourth one is social status. Once I'm famous, right, then I'll be recognized, then I'll be validated. And the fifth one that in my opinion is just crippling the world at the moment, in particular teenagers, is this constant craving recognition from others. Affirmation. Obsessing and caring what people think about me and saying about me rather than what I think about myself because now I want you to give me what I'm not prepared to give myself, you know, self-acceptance, self-love, self-worth, you know what I mean, self-compassion. So we're constantly looking externally and I think that's that's the biggest, one of the greatest tragedies of our, of our time. That, that's crazy um, what you just said but that's true. I mean I, I've never really put it into those terms. But do you think the whole social media world, which, you know, has its positives as well as its negatives, has actually contributed to that last point that you just made about young, particularly younger people uh, wanting affirmation or or uh, some sort of confirmation from, from external sources about their own self-worth as opposed to learning how to do it for themselves? Yeah, I think it was happening way before social media right. came on board. The three biggest storytellers in the world is the media industry, the social media industry, and the advertising industry. And I think even from the 60s when brand advertising became really powerful, we, we, we thought, okay, great brands don't make you feel good about the brand, they make you feel good about yourself. So we thought our identity was being shaped by what we would buy, right? What kind of perfume, what kind of car, what kind runners. of shoes, what kind of runners, exactly right. And that kind of created this loss of sense of self, right? Then you've got negative news media with this clickbait cocktail of cortisol that's creating this insane little negativity and, and we're, we're getting sucked into it because it used to be predicated on facts and now it's predicated on opinions and especially fear because it sells so well, right? As you know, and the third one, the social media, yeah, creating, we're getting obsession, obsessed with perfectionism and social comparison because it's so easy to see where, where you've been invited to or what you, what you look like or you don't look like or you haven't been invited to and it's really hard to separate because we were, never under, we, we were never taught how to use the utility because if you write a book or do a movie or a documentary, any form of storytelling, you're going to focus, you're going to learn about intention, you're going to learn about objective, and you're going to learn about empathy. But when that utility was thrown out in the universe, you know, 15 years ago, we were never taught what to say, but it created, you know, 4 billion social journalists. So we started focusing on ourself, self, self, self. We became self-absorbed, self-obsessed. We created this thing called a selfie, right? And we started focusing on ourselves more than others and caring what people thought about me. So you're right in terms of exacerbating this 
craving of recognition and identity, which is hurting us in so many ways. So uh, it, it, I, I presume your app is designed to try and help help this um, this problem. Yeah, totally. So yeah. talk talk about the app. Just tell me about the app. I mean, what, what motivated you to do the app in the first place? Oh well, I was just you know, I mean, especially during COVID, I went from doing one talk a week to four talks a day. Wow, all over the world. You know, like fifteen hundred requests that came came through once the yeah these principles are being socialised. I already knew that the year before COVID, when I took that gap year and travelled the world, and suddenly as wow, the world is really struggling here on, on on so many levels. And so I just thought I put the principles down and then put them back out in the world and kind of scale it way way beyond me. I had no idea it was going to take off. But how did you put the principles back out in the world? Sorry. I, so the work the work that I do is predicated on, on, I guess, three answering three questions. The first one is who am I? Right? And this is often where we'll find self-confidence, but we can accept our imperfections and believe we're worthy. It's effectively self-acceptance and self-belief that creates self-confidence. So not, you ask that question of the... It's a whole lot of, of a person or a group of people. Correct. It's all video-based and storytelling-based with some exercises. But the whole goal of that is to own your story from your inner fan, not your inner critic, because we're really good at saying what we're not. I'm not good enough, smart enough, you know, pretty enough. And we kind of suck at saying what we are, <laughs> right? And because we've got this, you know, negative bias, reptilian brain, that's like, you know, um, Velcro for negative and Teflon for positive. So the goal of these exercises is to develop a set of words or mantras or affirmations that reminds me of who I am at my best, Right, and take control of of my story and take agency back of what kind of human I want to be, right? And so the exercises that don't. My goal is for people to look at themselves in the mirror at night and say, "Look, whatever I achieved today or didn't achieve today, I am enough. Right? I am worthy. Yeah, I'm worthy of love. I'm worthy of belonging. I'm worthy of connection. I'm imperfect. I don't have all the answers, and I'm struggling, and I'm shitting myself, and I can't do this on my own. But I'm worthy to be here. It's unconditional. Yeah." then you can say, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. It's what I think about myself. Once they answer that question and develop that self-confidence, then they can answer the second question, which is what do I want (laughs) from this crazy thing called life, right? And this is where we unlock our values, our goals, our motivations, our needs, and our dreams. You know, we tap into our imagination and dream up the most amazing life for ourselves. The third question is, well, how do I do that? <laughs> like, how do I get there? Right? And so the three confidence is self-confidence first and then confidence in our connection to others or our leadership of others is second. And then the third one is performance confidence. Right? And that's the one that during COVID in particular, everyone wanted because you know, life itself was a performance. Right? And you mentioned right at the outset today, you know, expectations and pressure. Right? So that's very much performance mindset driven. If you can remove expectations, you will always remove pressure. Those words always follow each other. And what people don't realize, getting back to mindset muscles, is that pressure actually doesn't exist as a construct in the mind unless we're focusing on something we can't control but want to control. Then I guarantee you'll feel pressure or stress or anxiety and so forth. So it's that word. I've got a love-hate relationship with pressure and expectations because it's just crippling the world on so many levels. And the two expectations that are crippling us the most the first one is expectations of outcome, you know, the future, because you can't control the future. And the second one is expectations of others, because I can't control what, you know, Mark expects of me or even thinks of me. So if we can realize that you can only expect something you can control 100%. So the only expectations any of us should have is focusing on the things we, we can control ourselves. You've still got goals and dreams you want to put out there and then chase them down as hard as you can. 
you just realize that there's, there's certain things you can't control in the deliverable of that dream. You still go after them. And I don't have a client on the planet who's not, you know, goal obsessed and results obsessed. But if you can separate the difference between goals and expectations, you can remove so many distractions and, and remove pressure accordingly as well. So like if, if, if you would ask me, Mark, ask yourself the question, Mark, who, who am I? The very yeah. first question. Yeah. Um, do you give guidance as to how, how I should answer or how I should um, dig into myself to find out the answer to that question? Because when I, if you ask me to say who am I, I, mean, I, I should never even ask myself that question. And I, I you know, sort of struggle a little bit to answer the question. Um, who am I in relation to um, who I am perceived to be or who am I in relation to what I project to be yeah. or who am I in relation to who I really am? I mean, which one is it? Yeah, yeah. It's like I'm, am I a verb or am I a noun, right? Yeah, so yeah. am I focused on the roles and my identity or or the kind of human being? So we, let's do a really simple exercise yeah, yeah, right now, yeah. right? If I asked you off the top of your head, right, for the rest of your life, yeah. right, what kind of human do I want to be, right? Do I want to be playful, grateful, courageous, kind, caring, you know, excited, funny, like just off the top of your head, if I just said to you, okay, Mark, what kind of human do you want to be? Forget the roles in your life, just, you know, in terms of the doing, what kind of human do you want to be? Just give me a few words off the top of your head. I want to be my father. Right, yep. And what does that mean? What kind of human um, is that? Uh, uh, at peace. Yep, so peaceful. Uh, yep. Peaceful, um, happy with his lot. Happy, yep. With his lot, like happy enough, not happy, but happy enough with what he's got. Yep. Yep. Um, so content, you yep. want to be happy, yep. you want to be content. Lo- uh, love and supported by his family. Yep. So you want to be uh, loving, happy and content. And uh, uh, that's probably it. That's that, that, that's probably the best way to go. Cool. Yeah, cool. I, I don't want to – he's got a lot of other things going for him, but they're the things that stand out for me. Cool. Okay. So he's a role model. Yep. yep. So you're kind of dedicating your life to him and kind of that purpose-driven mindset. So but happy – Loving and content, right? Now, what's the most important role in your life? In terms of what my function? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If it could be a father, a son, a brother, business a man. friend. I, I, my my, my most important life is what yeah. I do in business. Cool. And what kind of businessman do you want to be out of those three? Uh, uh, Happy, loving, or content? Or is there another word that, in terms of, defines what kind of businessman um, you want to be? Responsible. Responsible. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I have a. I feel as though I got a duty. Yeah. As a business person. So if you started tomorrow morning from that place, yeah, and literally focused on those four words, yeah, then and then tap into curiosity, another mindset muscle. Mm. Kind of, how can I be happier today? How can I be more content today? How can I be more responsible? And how can I be more loving? Right. Forget what you do. You're just tapping into your humanity mm. in that sense. Right. And that's a simple exercise to go back to, well, why don't I just show up from that perspective, right? So you redefine success, right, from that place, right? You're literally connecting with the human that you want to be and you're applying that to the various roles or relationships or passions in your life, right? That's one way of connecting back to the, the who am I, right? If I asked you another question, right, can you think back to uh, what's one of your early happier memories, Right or an early happy memory. It might have been yeah, going, Christmas. To watch, going to watch my kids at uh, in playing footy. Gotcha. How old? How old were you? Forties. Uh, Forties. Right. Yeah. Okay. Twenty years ago. Gotcha. And if if I asked you then go back to that memory, right, watching your kids play footy in your forties, and call out the the words that best describes how you were feeling in that memory. 
Um, so happy, obviously, because it's a happy memory. Yeah, uh, yeah um, how I felt uh, at the time was uh, I, I just enjoyed watching them play in teams. It was enjoyment. Was, I had a sense of joy. Yep. In me. joy. Um, yeah, beautiful. Joy. Happy, joy. Mm. Yep. Well, if I asked you to find another one and another one and another one, you'd start to find these words, right? When you're at your best, you're at your happiest memories, right? You'll find typically words of happy, right, words of excited or adventurous, words of around um, free or carefree or safe or warm or loved or joyful, yeah. And you connect with these memories and the experience that reminds you of who you are. And that's kind of making sense of your story. Right? Another exercise is letting go of the stories which were unhelpful, these times when we attached our self-worth to a negative experience and rather than saying it was bad, we end up saying I am bad and that kind of shame story kind of appears. So part of it, the process is letting go of the unhelpful stories we've been telling ourselves about ourselves that creates that imposter syndrome or creates that fear, that, that inferiority complex or superiority complex and learn to let them go and reframe them with more positive affirmation-based versions of who I, who I am and have that resilience to believe that whatever happens, good or bad, I'm worthy to be here. I'm worthy to have a crack. So you know, for Ash Barty, you know, winning Wimbledon wasn't success, right? Believing that she was worthy to win Wimbledon, <laughs> that was success, right? That, had, that happened six months earlier at a cafe in, in Brisbane, right? But when we find our belief in ourselves and an unconditional love of ourselves and that acceptance of ourselves, that, that, that kind of gets closer to connecting with who we are, right? Regardless of what happens in our life, what our relationship status is, how much money we've got, what we look like and so forth. So, But are you, are you saying though, um, Ben, that it's important to actually articulate it, like well, nearly write it down perhaps, uh, yeah. like, at least in your mind? Yeah, train your mind to remind yourself yeah. in certain conditions, hang on, you know, separate your self-worth from what you do and from your business card. Yeah. Right? That's what I do. That's not who I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Otherwise, if your self-worth is predicated on the events of our lives, especially during pandemics or bad yeah, yeah. business cycles or whatever, it's going to be a roller coaster. <laughs> so in other words, we are, not, we are not what we do. Correct. We are something else. It's because it's very funny. Many years ago I read a book called, it was called Neurocomic, but it was written by a neurologist and, um, and it was illustrated by a comic illustrator. Yeah. And, um, and the neurologist was trying to explain uh, in this book um, through illustrations and narrative um, how our brain forms from a young child through to an adult. And he, he was, it was actually she, she was saying that, that um, in our brain connections um, neurologically, yeah. neurons, that over time we build up a story about ourselves and we – and through our actions, we confirm to our neurological system that that's actually who we are. And then over time, we become that story. And you can actually change that story because that's what plasticity for the brain is all about. You yeah. can change that story, but you can't change it unless you recognize that process I just explained to you. And it's funny, you know, you know, I've been through different careers and in different, different environments and uh, I have – tended to build up a story about myself exactly the way she explained it, that I was the person that I was being. In other words, the, mm. the things that I was doing, that was me, the person. That's who I was. Mm. And uh, and it wasn't until I read that book that I thought, no, hang on a minute, I don't want to be that person. I mean, that's just what I do. Mm. I want to be something different. 
And um, I started building up concepts of happy enough as opposed to trying to be happy. I just be happy enough. Yeah. Um, and what makes me happy enough? And uh, but I once again I've never really articulated these things, and I've never wrote it down or written it down. I should have said, um, and nor I've ever had any guidance on it. Like it's important. I, I think it's really important that because you know here's me like I run all these businesses, I do all these things, mm. um, I've got big family, grandkids, four kids. Um, but I've never actually had any guidance. Some of them have never had never had guidance on this. I mean, I'm not saying my dad's never guided me, but I've never had guidance, never sought guidance. I've never thought I needed to, but I don't think it's a matter of need. I think it's more about being curious as to what you would like to know, yeah. you know, about living. Mm. That is so beautifully said, first and foremost. Thank, thanks for sharing that. Um, it's, yeah, you've, you've just got to the essence of my entire work really that, you know, helping people understand that their life story is not their life. It's just their story mm. um, and they've got the power to reframe that. You know, absolutely everybody has a philosophy of life. We just don't realise we have one. And the one we don't realise we have, to your point, has been shaped by our life experience, our childhood, our parents and so forth. It's exactly the same with our belief system, right, to what, to what you said. Shit happens to, our, to us right, in our life, good or bad, right or wrong, and we believe something, good or bad, right or wrong, about ourselves or the world or our place in the world. Unfortunately, it's more negative than positive with that reptilian brain with a negative bias that we mentioned. So the only way you can alter your belief system is go back and reframe your life story. These what you want. These experiences where you told yourself a certain story that I wasn't loved enough, I wasn't worthy enough, I was you know, um, not good enough or so forth. And you go, you know what? Uh-uh, I am enough. Yes, that happened, but I didn't need to attach my self-worth to that experience. You know, we kind of crave the love we felt like we didn't get enough of as, as young kids based on our levels of sensitivity, right? Different levels of sensitivity, right? So I might've craved my dad's love more than my mom's and I felt like I had to do something or achieve something in order to please him, right? That's the first time that this not enoughness story shows up in our lives, right? It's the first time we tell ourselves a story that my self-worth or my love is conditional upon being a good athlete, being a good student, being good around the house and so forth. And that story just continues to show up in different chapters of our lives, just in different costumes when, again, we tell ourselves that same story that, geez, maybe I haven't got this, maybe I'm not good enough or successful enough, right? So the goal is trying to identify the source and reframe it and give yourself permission to be imperfect, right? Don't have all the answers. It is what it is and almost celebrate those imperfections but then also believe that you're worthy with these gifts that you've been given to have a crack. And that's, as you said, it's absolutely within our power to reframe those stories. But if we don't, we'll often go searching for it. It'll be the detriment of our authenticity. And I think that's what's happening on steroids, Mark. I think these two needs that we, that we all have, the need for attachment, you know, for love, belonging, connection, and, and attachment, but also the need for authenticity. Yeah, they have the courage to be me, to live a life true to myself. But if we don't have that first need met, that we're worthy of love or belonging or connection and so forth, it'll often be to the detriment of authenticity because <laughs> we're constantly searching. We want to please others. We crave their recognition. We get extrinsically motivated. And it's so sad because we live our whole life trying to live up, believe that we're worthy of love because we've got this conditional love story, this shame story kind of holding us back from just living our lives true to ourselves. And I've mentioned this a, a few times. I can't, um, Bronnie Ware, who's a, um, a hospice nurse from New South Wales, wrote the most amazing book called The Five Deathbed Regrets of the Dying. Right? And I won't go into all of them, but the number one regret 
all over the of world. Of someone dying? Yes, on their deathbed. Yeah. The number one deathbed regret is I wish I lived a, I wish I lived a life true to myself rather than the expectations of others. So there's that word again, expectations, right? We're craving recognition. I think I have to please my parents. I think I have to please my boss. I think I have to please others for my self-worth. And it's holding back from our own authenticity and finding our own joy, you know, how you found your own joy before you gave that talk, right? We're missing our authenticity in life because we're so distracted on, on so many levels. It's, it seems to me like a, there's been a, an increase in what I call pleasers, people who want to please everybody, yeah. um, and it's particularly in the younger environment. Um, like 20 to 30, 20 to even older, um, uh, that pleaser environment. Do you think that's a, a symptom of where the world's going? So we've created these people who feel as though they've got to please everybody. Yeah, well, it's the different costumes that it shows up in, if you don't reconcile that not enoughness story and find that find the courage to be yourself and find the good in yourself, we just get further and further away from our authenticity. Right? The first thing we do is we put up these we go into denial, put up these ego defenses. You know, we rationalize, we make excuses. Right? The second, once that doesn't work, that's when we become a pleaser. I'll just placate some, I'll just kiss ass to my boss and then I'll feel that I'm worthy or, or my parents and so forth. Once that doesn't work and it never works, then we put up these behavioral cover-ups because now, now I'll start criticizing others or blaming yeah, others or them. judging others, yeah, or bullying others, yeah, right? Yeah. I want to transfer that pain out of my body into someone else. Once that doesn't work... Then we get into addictive behaviours because now I want to numb that feeling that I'm not good enough or so forth. And it, you can be addicted to exercise, right, keeping busy, like social media, appetite, shopping, you know, gambling, whatever it is. And it's not really the activity we're addicted to. It's that feeling that it numbs that feeling for a period of time that, you know, I no longer feel that I'm not enough, something, until the hangover wears off and you go back to that cycle again. So it's kind of like going back to the source and making sense of your story and celebrating you know, celebrating imperfections rather than berating them, I guess. So let's just say in that example you just gave there, yeah. um, you know, those. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's a couple of phases you went through. Mm. Um, and I'm in that ad addictive stage, so I'm so addiction stage where I'm actually numbing how I feel about myself. And so 
it's a pretty dangerous place to be. And, you know, you can see people becoming, um, you know, I, I can see people doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things. It could be drugs, alcohol, they could become, you know, prostitution, you know, all sorts of things, shitty things come out of all this. Yeah. Um, and if that person was presented to you now and you wanted to let them know, your objective is to let them know that, you know, they've got to be happy enough with who they are. Yeah. Like, you know, like just accept who you are and be happy enough. What what would you say to them? Do, do, do you actually put them in a shock process? Like you sort of shock them into knowing that you've done this dumb stuff, you're, you're not going down the right paths. I mean, how, how do you operate with these people? What, what would you say to them? Well, in that case, I'd... I'd, I'd, I'd it could advise. be a football player, by the way. Yeah, in, well, yeah, but in that case, getting into addictive behaviour, that's getting into mental health and kind of almost trauma-based um, deficit kind of syndrome, I would advise them to get professional help. That, yep. That's above my pay grade to get involved in you know, certain levels of trauma and so forth. If it was a friend and I was, I was seeing like addictive behaviors, yeah, I'd definitely, you know, have a conversation with them and kind of understand how they're feeling and, you know, what's going on in their lives for them, like any good friend. Because we have friends like that. We all have friends like that somewhere yeah, totally. along the line, especially coming yeah. out of COVID. Um, but what would you say, how, how do you actually get them to appreciate where you're coming from? Like, uh, what, you, what you're, what you're seeing? Yeah. How do you get them to appreciate it? Like, I mean, do you just say, Hey Ben, let's sit down. I don't need to talk to you, mate. Um, I just worry about some of the things you're doing at the moment. I mean, yeah. how, how do you approach it? Yeah. Be vulnerable. Yeah. How, how do you um, mean? Be vulnerable and, um, ask someone if they're okay. Right. Um, and see if you can buy them a coffee, have a drink, um, encourage, be available, be open, love them, um, and just get them talking. If you're in your head, you're dead, right? So if you can get someone talking dead, to kind of right. express their feelings and their emotions and kind of listen to their language and kind of help them, you know, um, celebrate themselves rather than be so hard on themselves. So like be a friend and encourage them, you know, in either encourage them by reminding them of, of why you love them. That's what I mean by be vulnerable because the most vulnerable thing you can do, Mark, is tell someone you love them right? Without any um, guarantee they'll love you back, right? Um, or ask them a question, right? We just don't ask questions or, you know, how can I be a better friend? That's a pretty vulnerable thing to ask someone as well, right? What's the one thing I can do to be a better friend or a better parent or a better boss, right? So um, tap into that curiosity and vulnerability um, and from that place kind of encourage someone to um, start expressing their feelings and emotions um, so they can get stuff out of their head and you can start to process it. It doesn't have to be written down per se, but be a friend, right? In terms of, you know, from a mentoring point of view, um, if you see someone that's struggling, I feel like we have a responsibility on this planet to be kind and compassionate and with empathy and compassion kind of help them find the joy in themselves that they're probably not seeing because of that negative bias, so forth, but obviously encourage them to get professional help as well. Yeah, but uh, I get that because that's really important, obviously. Yeah. We're neither one of us is psychiatrists, psychologists, yeah. whatever, but, but – uh, but, but we do have friends. A lot of times, in order to get them to encourage them to do the get professional help, they need sort of to have that first conversation with yeah. you in the first place. And yeah. you're and you're saying one way to approach that is to be show vulnerable. And it could be me in a boss environment, or I'm sort of you know the boss of the business or whatever, you know the owner or founder, or whatever the case may be. And um, I'm seeing something who someone who's struggling. You're saying, how can I be a better manager for you. What did, what's more so to encourage, why, what are they hiding from? 
right? Because typically, you know, addictive behavior is numbing behavior. They're typically, they're great hiding places, aren't they? Yeah. Like, I'll just get, I'll just do more work. That's a great way to rationalize. Well, they think there's an invisible cloak they're putting over themselves and no one can see them. Correct. They're just in denial yeah, right, yeah. of the truth. So that's what I mean by just getting them talking. How are you feeling about your work? How are you feeling about your relationships? How are you feeling about, you know, life in general? And just get a sense for where they might be feeling stuck and kind of through that gentle, inquisitive curiosity, kind of help people make sense of, you know, their, the specific words that they might be using, right, to kind of express their emotions and, and their feelings. And we're really bad as humans of expressing the right emotions as well. So, again, and kind of encourage them to understand how they're feeling and, and process that and then de- develop a process to, to get help or so forth, yeah. yeah. Uh, ben, I keep coming back to this, um, articulating what we sometimes unconsciously, or I don't know if the word is subconscious, but unconsciously know what we should be doing, which is why, of course, an app like yours is probably very important or being able to have access to someone like you is from all the people you look after, like Ash Barty, et cetera, having access to you is really important because it helps us get back up on the, get back on a, an even keel, like a, 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 a puts, us, puts us in a position where we sort of have power over ourselves again. We can easily lose power over ourselves. In fact, I feel as though sometimes we give the power away. We actually um, abdicate our position. Yeah, couldn't have said it better. Yeah. What what the hell is that all about? I mean, you you keep talking about a negative bias. What, What is that, our reptilian negative bias? What is that? It's de- well, it was designed to, our brain's designed to protect us, um, which was fine when there was, you know, saber-toothed tigers tra- roaming around trying to kill us, but we no longer need that kind of protection, right? but we're still looking to protect ourselves. And I, I just feel like it's the perfect storm globally that now we're getting quite fearful um, of, you know, um, not only our, ourselves and are we worthy to belong, you know, this need for attachment, the need to belong because we're hardwired for connection as humans to other people, right? So because we're more we're we're safer in those environments. Yeah. Because if I if I've got a gang, a group of monkeys, yeah. and I'm a monkey, yeah, I'm more safe if the tiger's coming along or the lion's coming along. Yeah. Is, is that the process? It's all safety numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Safety yeah, numbers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But we're hardwired for connection to nature as much as connection to humans and connection to animals and and so forth. We're neurobiologically, as Charles Darwin would say, child, you know, um, hardwired that way, right? So. Um, so we still want to feel that we're worthy of belonging and connection and, and, and so forth. But as I said, we also want to feel that we've got the courage to cut that metaphorical umbilical cord and go after our own goals and dreams as, as well. Um, but to your point, yeah, once we realize we have the power to control and decide and choose how we inter- what kind of human we want to be, right? But we also understand, you know, these three macro fears, Mark, that, you're, um, that I think, and I've been traveling the world the last couple of years, the first one is this illusion of control. We focus on things we can't control that creates expectation and pressure. But there's all these things we can control right? from a mindset point of view, you know, in terms of our response to situations, right, in terms of accepting and letting go. So there's this illusion of control that we're really struggling with. Um, so getting, so you, sorry, yeah. I, sorry, but when you say the illusion of control, so you're saying though that we have the power, we need to take back the agency, we need to be in control. But then when we do that, we have this illusion around what is control. Well, when we're focusing on things we can't control. Because we're looking at external things. Correct. When yeah. we are looking at taking agency back ourselves, for ourselves. Over we, our mindset. It's yeah. only 
in relation to what we can control. And by the way, the only thing we can control is what we do. Correct. The way we think about things. Correct. Our thought process. Correct. We can't control anything else. I can't control how you think about me or Jess thinks about me or the media thinks about me or the people on my social media think about me. I can only and and do I can only control the way I am. So if I am going to take back agency, I've just got to be just not be um, delusional, be authentic, authentic, and honest. Be, because that is what authentic authenticity is. Mm. It's about me being myself. Mm. That's exactly what authenticity is about. Correct. And at its core, you're imperfect, and so am I. So mm. is everyone on the human, so uh, everyone on the planet. But we're also worthy. You're also, by the way, loving happy, mm. joyful and content, right? That's who you are. That's the human that you want to be also. And we show up from that place. We take back control right, of so many, what, what, what your core values are. You can control what your dreams are as well, by the way. You can control so many elements. As long as you don't believe you can control the outcome of those. And that's what I mean by the illusion of control, right? You can't control the waves, but you can learn to surf, Right. So what role, what's my role, what's my responsibility in this situation? What's my response? What's my agency in this situation? But then also understanding, you know, the power of acceptance so that we can distinguish between the two and start to accept and let go of the things we can't control. But also, Mark, accept ourselves, right? We're just not accepting ourselves as well. So as a consequence, I'm comparing and judging myself against you or Jess or anyone else in this world, right? Because I'm caring what you think about me, what you expect of me, and I'm losing my authenticity, which is my only competitive advantage on the planet, right? Because there's only one me. So once we realize we've kind of got this power, but there's this, so illusion of control is a big one for me. Um, The need for certainty, when so much of life is uncertain and unpredictable and vulnerable, right? And so, you know, yes, there's certain things in life we want to be certain of income, certainty of shelter and so, so forth. But when you think about it, life is uncertain. You either accept that and lean into that and embrace the uncertainty because that's also where the excitement comes from, by the way, the spontaneity, the variety of what's going to happen tomorrow, which we don't know. The challenge. Yeah, exactly. Like lean into that and then life becomes this wonderful adventure or an experiment or like a a work in progress. Or learning. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're learning and growing and kind of getting out of your comfort zone, realizing your potential in that way, right? So that's another one. This this um, need for. But it's how you look at it, isn't it? You're, you're, you're just your perspective. Sort of, yeah, you're you're just sort of saying to me. I think I th- I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're saying to me. In relation to things that we can't control, particularly about particularly about what the outcome might be in relation to some thing I'm undertaking. Um, I can't control all the external stuff. I can only control how I respond, how I do it, and how I respond to those things that get presented to me. Correct. But yeah. maybe a way of looking at it, instead of getting nervous and scared and going into my shell, it's more about uh, thinking how this is exciting. This is uh, an adventure. Yeah, it's a great, a great example. So, if an athlete, call it Ash Barty, um, but any, and not an athlete, a teenager right, or or a businessman before a presentation, right? The goal is to be excited before the presentation or before the match and then relaxed in the match, right? right? So the difference between anxiety and excitement, they're two sides of the same coin. So if I'm I'm about to play the Wimbledon final and I'm focusing all this stuff I can't control, there's 3 billion people watching the Royal Family, Tom Cruise in the audience, so forth, you know, what if I lose, all these kind of things, right? pretty sure you'll be anxious. (laughs) But if you focus on the things you can control, what your strategy is, what your roles, what your mindset is, what your intentions are, reminding you of the best version of you, you know, your mantras, I'm worthy to be here. Um, I've got this, whatever it is, right? 
good chance you'll be excited, right? And that's the goal in life. The, the goal is to be excited about the possibility of what I can do with these gifts and celebrate the journey. But if I focus on uncontrollables, good chance I'll be anxious or nervous or stressed or, or fearful, you know, feeling the pressure of expectations and so forth. So what, what do you then say to people you man, manage or help? Yeah. Um, and I'm not necessarily talking about the Ash Barties, like world champions, I'm, yeah. but just say any normal person, like an average person, yeah. say a friend of yours who you might be helping out. Um, what do you say to them about the role and or how they should approach what they read in the media? Not about themselves necessarily, but it could be about economic conditions. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the media will always run down pretty hard, uh, bad news. Mm. They love it. And media comes at us in many different forms today uh, through all sorts of forms. It comes with Instagram, television, wherever it is. Um, and you're going to hit up, instead of getting hit up once at 6 p.m. in the old days, if you, if you happen to watch the news, you're getting hit up like every hour, every p.m. and every a.m. about the same bad news. Mm. And you're someone who's can easily get anxious about that stuff. Yeah because it's going to affect me. What do you say to someone about that? What would you say? What would your advice be to them? They're under a new business, they're under a new undertaking, about to go for a new job, hoping to get a pay rise, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, in its simplest form, I'd say don't read it. <laughs> like in the same way that you don't want to hang out in a certain environment or a certain part of the bar where it's rowdy, you don't feel safe, right? Um, the first thing i say is don't don't read it. If you have to read it, yeah, create boundaries for yourself and understand the rules of engagement that you know, news media used to be factual and it's now opinionated and it's negative opinionated as well and it's designed to unlock that fear response or a controversial response and suddenly you're outraged. And really? You're, you you're, reckon it's designed to? You think it's that, it's that not evil but it's nearly sinister? hundred percent. It's it's absolutely designed to unlock this this certain response, this psychological, neurological kind of response in our brains that gets us more better. Unfortunately, it unlocks this insane levels of negativity. We've already got a negativity bias, right? Exacerbated by clickbait, you know, kind of cortisol that creates this fear and controversy and outrage for us at the same time. So once you understand that um, and then have more an objective assessment and don't attach yourself to that opinion of others. This is just an opinion. This is the facts. Almost like your World Series wrestling, right? <laughs> you know what's real and what's not real. You can listen to it. You can have a point of view on it. But, yeah, don't, especially if the media is about you, right, then yeah. I'd suggest read The Man in the Arena poem to yourself because it's not the critic who counts. There's a man in the arena poem. It's well, a- it's a man in the arena speech, right, right. Um, by I think it was Teddy Roosevelt, The Man in the Arena, which um, he literally starts its – not the critic who counts the opinions and judgments. It's the man who's in the arena, right? Who's having a crack, who's yeah, having yeah. a try, right? Who's who's going to get judged and is going to get attacked and is going to get belittled and so forth, but still keeps going. Who dares greatly, right? Through all of that adversity and so forth, and then develop a you know a separation where you don't care what people think about you. It's what you think about yourself. You can care about them. You just don't care what they think about you. And when you can say that to yourself, you're totally empowered. You've got all the power. But if I suddenly care what media think about me, right, that it's designed to create controversy and expectation and hyperbole. But if I get sucked into that, right, these opinions and judgments, right, we're always getting, you know, what did um, Winston Churchill said, if you've got enemies, that's a good thing. 
because it means at some stage in your life you've stood up for what you believed in right? and you lived a life true to yourself, right? Um, and then you focus on the opinions who, do, who does matter, your family, your colleagues. There's certain small circle of influences of people that you do want their feedback and, and so forth because it's unconditional as opposed to, you know, negative news media which is designed to have an opinion and judgment. And unfortunately, if they don't barrack for your team or, or so forth or they want to create some clickbait and so forth and the demon of expectations, then they're going to write whatever they're going to write. But if we get distracted by that, we will start jumping at shadows and, you know, looking through the rearview mirror rather than looking the windscreen which is you know, as you know 35 times larger than the rear view mirror so you know focus on what you want to achieve and not get distracted by others it's kind of having the courage to be disliked you don't want to be disliked but you've got the courage to be disliked because you don't care what people think about you it's what you think about yourself that matters that's a really interesting point you make about not caring what people think um well and but on one hand someone might say well that's not being very empathetic, Mark. And uh, um, why don't you care what people think? Because you know people's opinions are important. Um, but uh, uh, I, quite mm. frankly, don't care. To, to mm. be honest with you, um, but I'm lucky because I've already sort of had a lot of success in different things, and and, and uh, I literally do this because I love it, and I don't really care what any, whether they don't like it what I say or what I do or who my guests are, I really don't care that much. Yeah. I mean, I prefer that not to be the case. Yeah. <laughs> I prefer I do a good job. You prefer but, to work and surround yourself with, you know, with people, yeah. with good people, with good values and so forth, yeah. But how do you do that? How do you actually put yourself in that that frame of mind, that mindset? Self-acceptance in the simplest form. If you can accept yourself unconditionally, right, then you will have confidence in yourself and confidence in others as their comrades and then you won't compare and judge and get distracted by the opinions and judgments of others, right? But if I can't accept myself, if I put conditions on my self-worth, then I'll start comparing and judging myself against others and I'll start caring about their opinions and I'll get distracted and derailed by their opinions, right? And I'm letting that interference. So a beautiful mantra that a lot of my clients use, Mark, is from this moment on, that is not my life task. What that person thinks of me is not my life task. I can't control it anyway. It's not my role and my responsibility to spend my whole life caring what people are thinking and saying and judging and so forth about me. Right? That just takes me off course. What I think about myself, that's on me. That's my life task. So what kind of human do I want to be? What are my values? You know, What's my purpose? What are my needs? What are my motivations and dreams? That's absolutely on me. But I've got to stop interfering in others lives right? and having and judging them and bullying them and having opinions and gossiping and so forth but also make sure that there's boundaries for myself as well to stop letting other people's opinions kind of interfere in the boundaries that I need to focus on my hero's journey and kind of stay in my lane you know I can I can have a generous assumptions and generous assumptions are incredibly powerful and I say, okay, what's the most generous assumption I can make by why that person said that and so forth? Because that unlocks this kind of... Try and be empathetic and well, understand them. Yeah, it unlocks this compassion of curiosity. Oh, I, really, I wonder why that person said that about me. You know, I wonder what's going on in their world. And suddenly you create that separation, right? And you're no longer, you know, frustrated or angry, right? In some cases you feel sorry for the person, right, in, in some cases. So tapping into um, compassion and self-compassion, which are also mindset muscles that we don't realize we've got access to, can be really, really powerful as well. So I have two questions, two final questions, which I'm really interested to hear what your, your views on them are. Yeah. Um, uh, the first one is how important is the role of curiosity in our lives? 
oh my God, I could talk about this. This, this is i I'll try and answer this. The reason your greatest growth comes from your darkest times and your greatest learnings come from your most difficult times because it unlocks two superpower muscles within us. The first one is humility because <laughs> it grounds us in the brutal facts of our reality. Once it does that and we understand that truth, the second one is curiosity because curiosity turns the adversity into possibility, right? Gets rid of the cortisol into this dopamine kind of pattern recognition, right? Okay, what do I do now? How do I get through this? Who can help me? Right? And tapping into curiosity you know, labels, you know, this, this feeling and you suddenly have this possibility of what I can do next and get out of my comfort zone and overcome this adversity and respond with agency yeah, to whatever the situations of my life are. Um, curiosity is a, a great way to kind of live our lives yeah, and, and replace expectation into experimentation and tap into curiosity and, and treat your life as this wonderful experiment and curious about, okay, I wonder what I do now. Okay, that relationship didn't work out. I wonder how, what do I do now? What do I learn about Instead myself? Instead of blaming yourself. You're correct. Yeah, you have this curiosity about where I'm going in the world, where the world's going, you know, and the curiosity about what's my next goal. And you get more playful and more more creative um, in that curiosity because I, I think it unlocks the play element in us, which I think we're, unfortunately, we've lost on such a huge level. And the opposite of play isn't work, it's fear. Right. And so getting more playful and curious, let's go of the fear. We're uh, associating judgment with this situation. Curiosity taps into, okay, what do I do now? What's, how do I respond to this situation? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that you asked that question because it's seriously, it's so missing in our lives today because we're getting caught up in the conditions of our life rather than tapping into the curiosity about how, how we overcome some of these conditions, but also how we find more joy in our lives as well. And just, you know, curious about these things that we can't control, but I'm still going to go after these goals and dreams as hard as we can. And in my opinion, with curiosity, that's just called living. Yeah, no guarantees, no expectations of what you'll do with that curiosity, but that just gives you this, you know, this arm to kind of arm yourself with and go out in the world. It's <laughs> the whole reason I do this show. Yeah, curiosity. Yeah. And and Tom. my final question to you is, yeah. if you don't mind, um, my final question to you is, um, it's you and I, well, you, in particular, you've been talking about values. Um, you know, like tapping into values. What what do you consider good values for you? Not, yeah, for the person we're talking to, to, to whoever that might be. But values are closely aligned to, um, I won't call that ethics, values are closely aligned to virtues. You know, like what is it, what is it like to be a virtuous person? And, 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 of course, Aristotle talked about these things many, many thousands of years ago. We're yeah. going back to a couple of thousand years ago. And the concept of virtue, like courage versus, um, you know, uh, not being courageous, whatever the word is, fearful or uh, being, um, um, you know, yeah, not being courageous, whatever the, whatever yeah. the word is. but And um, I, I think today we don't talk enough about virtues in terms of them being values that are important to me. Um, you asked me before about, um, you know, about my father and I talked yeah. a few things about him, but, you know, my father is a courageous person. and uh, But where is courage? Where does it sit on a scale between um, uh, being a coward and being courageous, uh, you know, how do you work out wh where it is? You know, how far down the scale do I have to go? Does it is it is it at one end and the, and and cowardice at the other end, or is it sort of courage somewhere in between, or is it exactly halfway, or is it two thirds of the way down? And where do we find out 
what are the virtues? Uh, what I mean, when I was a kid growing up, Sunday afternoon, we had lunch with the family, my dad, my dad and everybody, my brother, uncles and aunties, and mm. we all said, and we talked about things like just human virtues about people. We talked about people. You know, we didn't read it on Instagram. We didn't read it on the internet. Parents and uncles and aunties talked about, oh, you know, he's, you know, he's going through a hard time. Someone else down the road might be lost their job, but he's tough as deep. And, you know, like there was, there was a, a sense of um, this individual's fortitude. They didn't use that word, but mm. fortitude came out. That's what that word was. It mm. was that person. They'll get through it because he's a hard worker and he's tough and he's going to handle it and he's going to deal with it. And don't worry, his family is going to be okay. And as kids, we go, oh, that's we didn't know it was fortitude, but that's fortitude. Mm. Where do where do we today, in order to build our values, do we find out about these virtues? I mean, how's the best way to go about it? Yeah, that's a, a another beautiful question, Mark. And, and to be frank, that's the journey that we're on with Mojo to simplify these, simplify complexity and these deep philosophical principles and virtues that you mentioned, and these these words, these languages that we don't really understand. It's kind of double clicking on them and we're, and getting a process where we can not only understand them but see which ones apply to us and then show up from that place, from those virtues and, and those values, yeah. So one of the exercises we do is simply ask, you know, if we had more time I would have asked you, okay, Mark, what's one of the worst things that's ever happened to you? Um, and you would have told me a story, yeah. And then I would have said, righto, um, what got you through it? What got you through one of the biggest crucible moments of your life? Because you had to draw down on some energy source. Because I'm still here. So something works. Exactly, to get you through one of the, you know, the biggest crucible moments. Well, probably the hardest time in my life was when I I was watching my mother um, slowly die from motor neurone disease over a six-month period, which is only like four years ago. Um, Definitely the most challenging time in my life because it uh, it was about watching somebody else. Yeah. But I – oh, I – but – to be frank with you, I mean, I don't want to sound like a smart ass, but I knew I couldn't control it. And uh, you're accepting of it. All I wanted to do was just go and keep her company, listen to what she had to say at that during the period where she could speak, uh, read what she had to write during the period where she lost her power of voice, and then just hold her hand um, during the period where she couldn't write or, or speak or move. And uh, but it was it was very tough on on me. And uh, but but I did realize that. At the end of the day, we're all something's going to happen to all of us, yeah. and uh, you know, as much as I hated watching her go through that painful process, um, I just accepted that was the process. And some people got a little bit upset with my brother and sister, particularly my brother, want to know why I didn't cry um, when I when I was there when on the moment she died because mm. uh, he, he he did, and uh, and uh, because I just knew that was going to happen. Mm. I, I wasn't sad. Yeah. You're authentic. I, I just wasn't sad. I wasn't yeah. sad. I mean, I, I mean, I miss my mother, don't get me wrong, and uh, I wish she was still here and mm. I wish she hadn't, didn't have to suffer that way because yeah. it's a terrible way to die. But, but I'm not sad because yeah. I knew it was going to happen. And then I, draw- I couldn't do much about it. And then drawing on that, um, what got you through? What virtues or values did you draw down upon that maybe your mum taught you it kind of got you through that that crucible moment for you because well, the virtues my mother told, told me is to be is stoicism for a start you know, like yeah. so be accepting. strong yeah be strong, strong. yeah you know fortitude just get through these things you know and uh, reflect on what she has done like reflect on the life she did lead and by the way most important thing is reflect on what she left behind yeah gotcha. and what did she do for us yeah, and, okay. and it's only last night that I sent my brother a note a text just reminding him him 
of, you know, because I don't believe my mother's up there in the sky somewhere sort of mm. looking down on us, um, you know, that's not my thing. But I did say to him, uh, mate, your mother left you and I with a, a great deal of virtues, mm. strengths, some weaknesses too perhaps, but strengths, skills, things mm. she trained us up for. So just draw on those, mate. Hundred percent, and that's that's you know he, he responded uh, appropriately, but um yeah. So you've just drawn down on acceptance. You're accepting the situation. You've drawn down on appreciation. You appreciated that you had your mum. You also drew down on love, and you drew down on courage, mm. fortitude to keep going. Mm. Right? Yeah, that is a great example, Mark. Is when we can all identify these crucible moments in our lives, but if we don't make sense of them because they're laced with meaning. And they're either going to hold us back, you know, numb it in denial, right? Or they can project us forward, right? Almost like a post-traumatic stress versus a post-traumatic growth. Not that not that simple, right? But if we lean in and make sense of it and find the meaning and the interpretation, right? You then mentioned legacy, right? Your mum left the most beautiful legacy for how you want to live your life, which then that's your responsibility to pass on to the next generation as well, whether it's family or friends or colleagues and so forth. And I think that's that's called a beautiful life when we get, when we understand that these kind of experiences in our life have incredible meaning and messages that we can draw down on and then apply to the next chapter of our lives. But to answer your question, in my opinion, the two virtues or values, however you want to describe them, you know, we spoke about these two needs that we all have, the need for attachment and the need for authenticity. Well, if we have this need for attachment and love, they have that need met, what that unlocks is love at its core. And if we have the need for authenticity met, we have the courage to live a life true to ourselves and to be me. So love and courage become the two most powerful virtues by far, in my opinion, right? The other ones that come off the back of that might be play. As I said to you, we've lost the art of play. We're so fearful today. We're not getting curious. We're not getting creative. We're not having fun. We're not imagining. We're not dreaming, if you like. So, you know, for me, play is a really powerful one that keeps me centered and not treat life so seriously or treat myself so seriously. I treat our work seriously, but, you know, um, be more childlike and experimental and carefree and, you know, live life without consequence and experiment more. So, yeah, I think there's a um, finding ways to really getting back to who am I and what do I want, connecting back to the human that I want to be, and apply those virtues to the various roles and relationships and responsibilities I have in my life right? and remind yourself daily. And then, therefore you redefine success, Mark, from the human you want to be and these intrinsic motivations. And when you redefine success from that place or you show up from that place, you don't have to wait to be successful. You don't have to wait to be happy, right? You fall in love with the process and show up from that on a, on a daily basis. But I think if we don't, we'll get distracted by the nouns, our identity, and think I have to do something or achieve something or have something in order to be someone. And I think that's the, the the separation. And the three confidences that I think we're all looking for is relation to those virtues. For me, there's three confidences. There's self-confidence, which is accepting your imperfections and believing you're worthy. That creates a foundation for then confidence in how you connect with others, you know, social confidence or leadership confidence, yeah? And you move from I to we and you lose that imposter syndrome or you lose that social anxiety. And the third one is performance confidence. And that's predicated quite simply on accepting the things we can't control and focusing back on the things we can control 
and the best virtue, best version of us. Yeah. And the things we can control, typically there's only three things, right? There's our intention, there's our effort, and there's our mindset. And if you can find the words that best describes who you are, right, in a performance, in your case, you said, I just want to be joyful and I want to enjoy this moment. So that might be one of your words, but if we had more time, we'd unlock a few more. From that place, you then put a goal out in the universe of what you want to achieve in this performance or achieve in this in this company and so forth. And then you chase down those goals and those dreams, but you separate those from what's expected of you and your role per se. And if you make them an expectation, you'll be focused on uncontrollable and that will cause anxiety. But of those three confidences, the most important one by far is self-confidence. <laughs> Because people come to us for performance confidence, but what they need is confidence in themselves. And that's often what's holding them back when they're in the arena or in whatever situations there are. And we're all on that, we're all on that journey, that hero's journey, if you like. Van Crow, um, I, I'm, I really am very appreciative for the fact that, uh, you know, someone like you who deals with, you know, big names and probably not so big names and uh, have sort of built a career, a career out of this and particularly in relation to how much demand you're in. I really appreciate the fact that you got here and, um, talk to us about this sort of stuff because it certainly unlocked in my mind a lot of things that maybe I'm already doing only because I'm an old fella and I've been I've had to work at this sort of stuff out yeah, yeah. instinctively yeah um, learned but, experience we call it but it's great <laughs> because it allows me to articulate stuff and hopefully the people listening just get the same sense of it I mean I think if you don't, if they don't, they, they should go and have a look at some, like have a look at your app. But more importantly, just listen to these sorts of conversations back and forth, because it's not easy. It's complex. It is complex, and not everyone's going to get access to you. Um, but they should start the exercise. And I think I, the very, the most important thing I got out of this is try and articulate what you think works for you now. Yeah, like, totally. write it down even. And I just gave you that original right at the very beginning. I gave you that example of what I experienced just the other day. But as soon as you were talking to me, I started articulating my mind. I thought, shit, that worked because I felt good after it. 100%. That very first story you talk, you spoke about giving the talk, in that situation you, fra- you reframed your mindset from I got to to I get to, right? I got to give this talk. I got to go to work. I got to do something for a client. But if you, you flip the O to an E, I get to help a client. How lucky am I? I've got a job. These people, are, I get to give this talk. We have that power to tap into that and reframe this expectation into appreciation. My my advice, fan, if, uh, for the whole world really, is just spend 10 minutes every day on self-reflection and leaning in and learning about yourself. The research coming out of the US and the UK at the moment is the average human spends one hour and 50 minutes every day stressed. Right. Wow. That's 13 hours a week. Wow. Right? So what if you could reduce those 13 hours? Because those who are winning in life at the moment are spending just 10 minutes right, doing self-reflection exercises, whether it's in our app or doing some reading because your mentors can come from a movie, a quote, a book, and so forth. But if you just spend 10 minutes investing in yourself, right, and our business has flipped in two years, right, because we started with just one one product, which was a course. But what everyone told us is what they want smaller bite size, you know, interventions that can help us help them in 15 minutes, right? Or just more content that they can socialize. So we're just flipping our entire business to create these more short form content to give people what they want in just 10 minutes. Yeah. To win the morning and win the day, just invest 10 minutes. And as Jerry Seinfeld would say, don't break the chain, right? So reduce the scope, but stick to the schedule, right? So that means create a schedule for yourself. It might be one hour of exercise, right? If you don't get there, reduce the scope. 
just do 10 minutes exercise, yeah. but stick to the schedule you know, and, and then have a bit more, cut yourself some slack. You're doing the best job you can, if you like. And for that self-compassion and some of these other muscles, yeah, your perspective will flip like that. Thanks, bro. Thanks very much. Thanks, mate. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio production by Jessica Smalley. Production assistants, Jonathan Leondis and Simon McDermott. This is a Mentored Podcast. Podcast.